Hello, hello, hello. I'm Aaliyah, and this is a Big Mama episode of Netflix, Coffee, and Questioning Humanity. In this jumbo episode, I will be breaking down my favorite things that I watched in 2020. Oh yes, that is a new siren. I did update my Mac, which updated my GarageBand apparently, and my old sirens just aren't available, so I figured I'd just do a cooler siren this time around. But that siren is a friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content while most certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to get the fuck up out of here. And before I start with any of the titles, I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to me dick around on a podcast. That means the world to me, honestly. And speaking of the world, Netflix Coffee and Questioning Humanity has reached 14 countries in two months. Like, what the fuck is that? That is the coolest shit ever. I am blown away by that. Thank you so much. Huge shout out to Russia. That that sounded weird. But Russia, Latvia, Switzerland, Indonesia, Germany, Spain, Ireland, United Kingdom, Singapore, Poland, Canada, Norway, France, and the USA. You know I had to throw in a little bit of my douchebag American culture in there. You knew it. And speaking of American douchebaggery, what a great segue to discuss this highly sugared, highly caffeinated beverage I'm drinking. I decided I'm gonna go with my ride or die classic, the ice caramel latte from Dunks. And maybe I'm delusional. No, you know what? I am not delusional. Matter of fact, I know I'm not delusional on this. Dunks is different in New England. And if you don't know Dunks, it's Dunkin' Donuts or just Dunkin' now, whatever they've rebranded themselves to be. I don't care. It's Dunkies. It is the craziest shit. I think they sneak some sort of crack in the extra extra at Dunks. I, I don't know. Or just in their water or flavoring. I have zero idea, but it is 100% different up here. And it's not like it was just Florida that was different. No, no, no. I've had Dunks in every state I've ever visited in the United States. I haven't been to many states, but I've had Dunks in every single one. And none of them taste the same as they do back home. It's almost like it's diluted in other states. I don't know. I was in Virginia with my family a couple years ago. I was visiting my grandmother down there who lived in the boonies, honest to God. May she rest in peace. Her uh, anniversary of her passing is coming up in a couple days. So this is fitting. Love you, Grammy. You got out just in time. So you didn't have to see Tom Brady and Gronk go to the Bucks. I'm sure that would have absolutely ripped you apart inside. I'm gonna divert off topic for just a minute because this is an important side note. I know this is like the longest coffee intro ever but I told you it's going to be a big mama episode and that's what it is. My sweet, sweet, sassy, sassy grandmother who passed away a few years ago, you would not meet a bigger Patriots fan. She was sick and we we knew that her time was limited, right? And she knew this too. So she had, you know, her final requests, like such a diva. Her dying wish was to grab Tom Brady's ass and that is no lie. She said that she would settle for Gronk if Brady could not find it in his schedule to come visit her in the boonies of Virginia to, to meet her to grab his glutes. She also also proudly rocked a shirt that had two footballs on the breastuses that said, you cannot deflate these puppies. And if I'm not mistaken, she was cremated in her Gronkowski shirt and Patriots pants, something Patriots related. My grandmother was die hard till the very end. And I'm very fortunate. My family's fucking awesome. And they actually, we didn't get Tom, but we got a bunch of different Patriots players to hold up signs that say, get better, Sandy. The local radios in Boston, you know, they gave her a shout out and all that cool shit. That was just all to explain how fucking rad my grandmother was. Now to get back to my main diversion from my diversion, I was visiting her a few years ago in the boonies where the only coffee in sight was a gas station, which no. Me and my cousin, we're getting the shakes. We need our dunks ASAP. We're freaking out. So we decide we're going to Richmond, which is about an hour and a half away from where my grandmother was living. And that solely just to get coffee. And I think my dad wanted ghost pepper wings too. So, I mean, that's not really much of a reason. And once me and my cousin were in the parking lot of this Dunks, you would have thought we were crawling in the desert towards a purified stream. So we're craving Dunks and we're also from up north and in the south things go very slow. So we're loud, we're on a mission, we're cranky, we're craving coffee and we're demanding it in Dunkin' Donuts. And the lady who's serving us, she was so nice. She could tell that clearly we're desperate for this shit. She actually gave us our coffees for free and we were stoked. 
until we tasted them. It tasted like fucking garbage water and caramel. That's exactly what it tasted like. An incredible letdown. So it's nice to have decent coffee is the main point of what I'm saying. And it's nice to have high quality donkeys. If you are not from New England and you ever get a chance to come to New England, I highly recommend you get some dunks here so you can taste the difference for yourself so you know I'm not crazy. Those of you who live here, you're probably like, yes, yes, preach. That was over five minutes of bullshit rambling. So let's let's get into this now, the meat and potatoes. 2020 was obviously a dumpster fire, personally, globally, just in every way, but I'm personally tired of feeling shitty and I'm tired of feeling like, oh, 2021 is gonna be an amazing year. 2021, 20, 2021, yeah, I was seeing that in my head as 2121. Now all I literally hear in my head is 21 Savage's voice being like, 21. You know what, it's fine. I deserve to have that trash in my head. I'm just taking things day by day for the foreseeable future. I mean, I can say that all I want, but I know I'm a planner, but that's ultimately my goal just to take it day by day and not count on New Year's resolutions or a new year or a new month or a new week to make things better. I just want to have a good day every day. That being said, I know 2020 was really hard and really shitty and I want to give you some positivity and light and a fun way to escape it. I'm going to be discussing my favorites of 2020 and I want to clarify what that sort of means. I'm going to be discussing my favorite TV shows that I've been watching throughout 2020, even if they weren't necessarily released in 2020. I'm gonna split it up into two categories for TV shows. There's gonna be the ones that did premiere in 2020 or had new seasons in 2020 and the ones that did not, just like the classics. But then as far as movies go, I was like, I have to just limit it to 2020 releases. So that's what I did, but I kept it open in both areas to all streaming platforms. For me, I wasn't really watching, like comfort watching movies that didn't release in 2020. The only movie I do that with is Bohemian Rhapsody. I've watched that movie about six bajillion times and like, old horror films, but that's about it. And I had really great success when I was breaking this down because this took a a very long time for me to break down and kind of go through and then sift through and then sift through even further and then filter it. Like the TV shows took long enough to go through that process. When it came to movies, I was like, no, let me just make this 2020 only. And I had success with that. I'm very happy with my movie list. So without further ado, here they are, my favorite titles to stream in 2020. Starting with the 2020 premiere television shows, number 10, The Last Dance, streaming on Netflix. Michael had an obligation to himself, the fans, his teammates, the organization, his family, everybody. He said, if you're going to sit down and take three hours out of your day to watch me on TV, I have an obligation to give you my best, to give you my best all the time. Honestly, who hasn't seen this docu-series? I've watched this probably about three or four times all the way through now, and I love it even more every time I watch it. I learned so much about Michael Jordan and the entire Bulls team from the 90s. I only know him through Jordans and posters and Space Jam, so this was like a super awesome learning experience for me, as well as very entertaining. In the fall of 1997, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls allowed a film crew to follow them as they went for their sixth NBA title in eight seasons. That was resulted in a stunning portrait of one of the sport's most iconic athletes and a celebrated team. The Last Dance follows the Bulls' 97-98 season from start to finish while covering the rest of the chapters in Jordan's remarkable career. The 10-part docuseries follows the Jordan timeline from when he was an emerging star on his high school team to becoming a worldwide marketing force and cultural figure. The Last Dance, as you probably know because I don't know anyone who hasn't heard of this docuseries, was it was a major success. It was ESPN's highest viewed documentary ever. And let me tell you, I don't know if you watch ESPN, but they put out a new documentary like every three hours. So this is a big deal. It made me emotional. It informed me. It made me laugh. It hit every nerve. The biggest reason I think it was so successful, at least in my opinion, was because it wasn't afraid to hit the controversial shit. I know Jordan had a lot of control in signing off on the final project. He turned down something like 16 offers to use this footage because he's had all this footage for years, years, tons of footage. I I know they talked about how many hours of film that they've had on ESPN before it premiered and he held on to that 
for several, several years before Tallinn. And Mike Tallinn, if you don't know, is one of the producers of The Last Dance who had a major hand in making this docuseries. So Michael wanted this to be raw and real, even when it didn't paint him in the best light. And I can appreciate and fuck with that. And I think a lot of other people can too, which is why it made it such a huge success. Number nine, Ugly Delicious, streaming on Netflix. It almost brings cooking back to why he cared about it to begin with. That's what our humanity needs to invest in is more connection. Without community, a restaurant is just what? Eating. (laughs) (laughs) I talked about Ugly Delicious in my Look Stupid But Give It a Chance episode, so I'll keep it fairly brief, but this was definitely the show that shocked me the most when it came to how many people reached out to me and told me that, oh my God, I love this show. I heard about it on your podcast. I gave it one episode and I fell in love with it and I binge watched it. That's literally everyone I've talked to about this show. It is a breath of fresh air. Chef David Chang, who is a cultural phenomenon and a true celebrity himself, travels around the world tasting food from other cultures. And that concept is certainly one that has been done many, 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 many times before. But there is something really special and unique about this show. Every episode highlights a relevant concept or dish, mostly both, and how it evolves in different regions and how it evolves into what it is in the modern day world. It has celebrity appearances like Aziz, Alan Yang, Jimmy Kimmel, Ali Wong, Danny McBride, Nick Kroll, who you know me, I'm a big mouth fangirl, so Nick Kroll is like my god. I think my favorite part of the whole show is how it completely throws out your ideals. And I guess I should be more specific, your ideals of food. Like it takes kind of lower class foods, I guess you could say in quotations. The foods you would think of that are not good because they are cheap and it shows you that they can taste good. It doesn't need to be bougie and expensive for it to be a good dish. Also, the fact that most of the concepts are left open to discussion, Chang wants to challenge how you think about food but admits and this is his quote there's no universal truth about any food unquote it's an amazing watch he's an amazing guy and it's really funny number eight i am not okay with this streaming on netflix detention after school both of you you'll receive failing grades on this test seriously excuse me dina's been studying this for weeks now brad cheats off her and she has to fail the test i mean that is such You can take that language straight to detention. Anyone else? Uh, Motherfucker. Okay, fine. Detention for you too, Mr. Barber. Sydney is a teenager navigating the trials and tribulations of high school while dealing with the complexities of her family, her budding sexuality, and mysterious superpowers just beginning to awaken deep within her. Ugh, this show, another hidden gem. It's so fucking funny and raw and different. The concept of a teenager with superpowers or something like that or just teenage bullshit isn't original or unique or different. It's just the vibe from it. Sydney is played by Sophia Lillis, who is the young lady who plays, uh, what's her name? Beverly Marsh in It Chapter 1 and then Young Beverly in Chapter 2, the the same character. It also stars Wyatt Olaf, who is also in It as Stanley and his name's Stanley in this. That's really weird. I just noticed that. It's not a show to take too seriously. I believe it's only seven episodes and maybe 25 minutes long each. It's just really easy and light to binge. I think the main reason I loved this was because it gave me major Juno vibes. The movie starring Elliot Page, if you if you're familiar. I don't know if it was the aesthetic or if Sophia's acting reminded me of Elliot's. I, I'm not quite sure, but the, something about those two, that's the closest thing I can relate it to vibe-wise that made me really enjoy it. Concepts could not be any more different, but like I said, it's just the tone of it. It's based on a graphic novel written and illustrated by Charles S. Forsman. And now as I was writing my notes on this, I became very pissed because Netflix has announced in August that they canceled this fucking show. I did not know that. I'm definitely going to need to find these graphic novels because I love the concept and I need to know the ending. It leaves you with like a serious cliffhanger. I need to know what's going on in this show. How the fuck? Did Insatiable get a second season and this show didn't? What the fuck is going on? I'm sure it has something to do with COVID because from what I could tell with the youth, this was a big deal. They really enjoyed it. And I'm hoping when things eventually someday, one day 
a million years from now when things calm down, they can pick up where they left off because I really think this show could do very well. I'm so mad now. Oh my God, I didn't mean for this to be completely consumed with my anger, but this is such a good show. Give it a watch. Leave it on while you're cleaning your house or something, or if you're just looking for something light in the background. It's easy. It's got this dark comedy. The acting's really cool. It's very relatable. I think you'd enjoy it. I'll keep you updated if there's more seasons coming out or what's going on with that. Let's get into something that hasn't been canceled. I feel so bad, but I really loved this show so much that I had to put it on here, even though I figured out later that it was not going to be continuing. On to the next title that is not canceled, but delayed inevitably due to coronavirus. Number seven, The Morning Show, streaming on Apple Plus. I don't need to justify anything. You all are so convinced that you are the rightful owner of all of the power that it doesn't even occur to you that someone else could be in the driver's seat. And so so we have to just gingerly step around your male egos in order to not burst this precious little bubble. Well, surprise, I'm bursting it. We are doing this my way because frankly, I've let you bozos handle this long enough. Oof, the goosebumps from that scene. This show is absolutely incredible. The Morning Show is an Emmy-winning, unapologetic, candid drama that looks at the modern workplace through the lens of the people who help wake America up. It stars Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, Billy Crudup, Steve Carell, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, and Mark Duplass. The cast, as you have heard, is very talented. They are A-list celebrities. So I think it goes without saying that the acting in this show is above and beyond. I started watching this show in March or April while I was in quarantine, and I stayed up watching this binging this until 6 a.m. I was exhausted, but I was so drawn in and I could not stop myself. Each episode leaves you with a serious cliffhanger and you're just dying to get to the next one. Reese Witherspoon's character, Bradley Jackson, is hands down my favorite out of this show. She's such a brilliant actress, although I kind of feel like they did a disservice when they casted her. And it's nothing against Reese Witherspoon, it's Reese fucking Witherspoon. Obviously she's a fantastic actress. I would have loved to see someone who actually didn't look like they fit the mold. I know she's like a badass who cusses and swears and she's a controversial news anchor, but I was like, okay, but you're like an A-list Hollywood celebrity and you look like it. No matter what color they paint your hair, you're still gonna look gorgeous and like you could be a news anchor of anything. I wanna see someone with a green mohawk and some fucking combat boots up in there. I want someone who really doesn't fit the mold, but that's just like a little gripe I have. It's not even a gripe. It's just like, ugh, I wish. The show does tackle really sensitive issues and it does it very well. It unravels all of the complaints complexities of it and it shows all of the different ways that a serious event can affect different people and how different people view it. The writing is definitely my favorite part of the entire show. They did such a beautiful job with creating chaos and this isn't even just the writers this is the camera work the lighting the score or soundtrack, whatever you want to call it. I know that they're probably different, but I don't know the difference between them. But they create this chaos, especially the writing, but it's chaos that you feel like you're out of control, but you don't feel like you don't understand what's going on, if you can follow that train of thought. I guess a more simple way to put it is you're just along for the ride throughout this whole show. You are completely immersed in this lifestyle, in this setting with these characters. Also, seeing the full range of Jennifer Aniston, aside from being like a rom-com friends queen, I was shook. She proves her chops in this role for sure. So season two was supposed to air, I believe this month or last month, uh, but obviously due to COVID, they could not. And apparently they wanna make updates to the script. They wanna make the story more relevant to what's happening right now, which I think could be very, very interesting. Obviously season one leaves us with a massive cliffhanger, but I'm excited to see what season two brings. I'm okay with the wait. I feel like with this show, especially the wait will be worth it because they're going to inject so much from 2020 into the show and they're gonna make it oh so good. I trust these writers. Number six, Into the Unknown, Making Frozen 2, streaming on Disney+. Plus. For Frozen, we had created these two sisters. I get caught up in them because they feel real to me. They feel like family. That's part of what drives us. For Frozen 2, there's a sense of responsibility and high expectations. Challenge is carrying on what people fell in love with in the first movie. In animation, you write a script and then you record it and then they go back to the drawing board and it changes dramatically. It's probably the toughest time in production is a year out. So when all the balls are up in the air and the balls start falling. We just don't want to let the fans down. We made this movie for them. Into the unknown. You're an audience that loves 
as these characters. I wasn't prepared to cry at this. If you can do better, you have to. It's an exciting time, but this is it. I guess you could say we're going into the unknown. You are going to stay the fuck there. You are not going to fast forward. You're not going to roll your eyes. You're going to sit there with your ears open and you're going to listen to me plead the case for Frozen 2's Into the Unknown docuseries. And you know what? I wasn't even going to put this on my list because I was low-key embarrassed and I was going to keep this nerd shit a secret, but that would not Ragnar, are you serious? He's just fucking with all my wires now. Can you just not? Can I just plead my case? Another person who doesn't want me to love Frozen? Get the fuck out of here. No, I'm kidding. Come back. Love me, please. My feet are cold. Sit on my feet. As I was saying, I need to keep it authentic. I've watched this docuseries. I, I don't know how many times over. Probably about 30 times. And I'm being dead serious. The making of Frozen 2, it, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? The making of Frozen 2 is the making of Frozen 2. But it shows the creative forces, the filmmakers, the artists, the songwriters, cast members, behind the scenes, uh, all of it. Jennifer Lee is the main reason I loved this docuseries. She is a fucking boss. I'm so worked up about this. I'm like out of breath. I'm like, she's a boss, she's a boss. I'm like gasping. I apologize if that is not pleasant to the ear. As a writer, I was so inspired by her because she is not only amazing and has an incredible work ethic, but the way her mind works and listening to her ask specific questions and her dedication to storytelling. Everything is all for the story, to make the story authentic, to make it better, to make it real. And that's for a Disney cartoon film. She wanted it to feel real because it is real to her and I can relate to that. She's a badass woman and a creative genius and I just love Jennifer Lee. And I'll leave it at that because I'm sure everyone's rolling their fucking eyes at me. I don't care. Watch the docu series and thank me later. Watching the process of how they made the song Lost in the Woods alone is a reason for you to watch. That was actually one of my most played songs of 2020 on my Spotify wrapped. I was so embarrassed. Most of the songs are from Frozen 2. The range I have is crazy. My Spotify wrapped was like Fever 333. If you're familiar with them, that's a big stretch from Frozen 2. I believe it's the antithesis of Frozen 2. So Fever 333, Frozen 2 soundtrack, Halsey, Paris, and like some Miley Cyrus bangers. I clearly have shit taste in music. After that, it's pretty random. It's like 90s rap songs and that's about it. But anywho, watch the fucking docuseries, please and thank you. Number five, Cheer, streaming on Netflix. Get your lives together. He hurt his toe. You have nine others. Why are you here? Why did you leave your hometown and your family? And why are you in Corsicana on this team? If you don't know the reason that you're doing this, then, I mean, there's no purpose. You have to know your why. Like, what is your why? This was another title that I talked about in my Look Stupid But Give It A Chance, and I went hard for this because I already talked about it as well. I'll keep it brief, but I stand by everything I said. Monica Aldama is now getting so much love and it's so well-deserved. She was even on Dancing with the Stars. She was the one who got Steve Harveyed by Tyra Banks. If you aren't familiar, she is the head coach of a small town college in Corsicana, Texas called Navarro. And she's basically developing this team, which is the greatest team in the country. They are legendary to win another championship in Daytona. I know it sounds like something wicked stupid, off Netflix or fucking MTV or something like that, but this is a much deeper show. As I said in the previous episode when I talked about this, it takes your superficial stereotypes of cheerleaders and even mine. I even caught myself falling into that trap and it completely smashes your ideas of them. Not only that, but if you're one of those idiots who's like, cheerleading is not a sport, the this show will completely make you look stupid. These are guys and girls who are literally fucking broken in half and they're still giving it their all. They're still fucking flying in the air, doing backflips, lifting humans. It's crazy. This entire show blew up on such a big level. Lexi and Gabby were literally front row at fashion week. Like what? They are bona fide celebrities from that show. They were already sort of famous in their cheer circle. I'm sure people who are in, you know, sports can relate to that or in like a niche group, but the docuseries Cheer sort of transcended that. As far as season two goes, I know there was some chatter about the NCA or whatever it's called changing their rules, but according to Monica, they literally don't change anything. And Navarro is practicing with masks and being like COVID safe or whatever. So who knows? We may see a season two with Navarro, but what I really wanted to see 
was Trinity College. From the small bit that we saw in season one with their coach, I liked him. I wanted to see more. Anywho, I'll just repeat what I said in the last episode. Cheer is the setting, not the story. Give it a chance. Oh my fucking God, we're only on number four and we're what, 21 minutes in? Oh my goodness. And this is only the shows that premiered in 2020. We still have the shows that I've been watching that didn't premiere in 2020 and the movies. Oh my God. Okay, moving on. Number four, Cobra Kai streaming on Netflix. Yeah, asshole. I clicked all the buttons. I still can't find the internet. I've tried connecting to the Wi-Fi. Obviously. What's Wi-Fi? Another title I just finished talking about. This was on my late on the bandwagon episode, which was my very last episode. So another one that I'll keep very brief. Decades after the 1984 All-Valley Karate Tournament, a middle-aged Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence find themselves martial arts rivals again. This show is so fucking good. And like I said in my last episode, I was trying so hard not to like it, but I loved it. Literally, and I do mean literally, not just the literally word. I was drawn in and I knew that I was in it and I was invested two minutes into the first episode. Very simply, the writing is fantastic. The acting is fantastic. The entire operation is top-notch gold star. One thing I'm very pissed off about was that in September of 2019, Nicole Brown, who plays Aisha, will not be returning for season three. On her personal Instagram, she states that they couldn't find a place to put me in the script. That is absolute bullshit. She was a real ass female character who had more than a romantic storyline. She's a straight up OG member of Cobra Kai. We have seen her develop and become multifaceted and fuck up Yasmin's pussy, if you remember that. That was iconic. That sounded sexual. I did not mean that. She gave her a veggie, y'all. Sorry, a little spoiler. And when I say veggie, I am not talking about the produce. I'm talking a wedgie for the V. Not a good time. I feel like they could have done so much with Aisha's character. And upon my further research, I did read that there may be some mental health problems. There's three sides to every story, but it's just very disappointing to me. Story-wise, morally, optically, this just doesn't look good. I do wish Nicole Brown well, and I hope maybe she will return to the shoot at some point in the future. Number three, The Mandalorian streaming on Disney+. Plus. Okay, so clearly I'm not inserting an audio clip, and I will get into the reasoning for that in just a second. First, let me say it's no secret that I am a normie, semi-casual Star Wars fan. Even that probably makes me seem way more knowledgeable than I actually am. I know enough. We'll put it that way. And I'm going to keep this very brief and I didn't put an audio clip in because I know aside from all the lore and whatnot how crazy Star Wars fans are. I'm not gonna go into any crazy detail. I'm not even gonna go into any real detail on this because people get so riled up. It's a very strange phenomenon that I believe only exists inside of the Star Wars fandom where any detail is a spoiler. So to be safe, I'm just gonna give the official Disney Plus bio. The travels of a lone bounty hunter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. Oh, that's literally it. Okay, that's that's what it says. See what I'm talking about? Even Disney Plus knows. The fans are so finicky and sensitive. Like one seemingly small detail could be revealed and it would cause an uproar. I wouldn't even be able to go into what shade of shit comes out of his ass without getting harassed. So I'm just gonna say The Mandalorian, it's number three for obvious reasons. It's badass. Watch it. Especially the finale of season two. Holy shit. I just watched that today and wow. I said shit way too much in the last 15 seconds. Anyway, The Mandalorian. Number two, Shit's Creek streaming on Netflix. Again, I said shit. It's like my body just knew Shit's Creek was coming. I just had to keep saying it. I need that bed. Why? Because I need it. Why? Because if someone were to break in here in the middle of the night wanting to murder us, they would attack this bed first. So I need this bed. So you're saying that you want me to get murdered first in front of you? And then what would you do? Would you just run away and leave me to bleed out on the floor? Uh, sort of. That was the plan. Yeah. Yet another title I spoke about in the last episode, but holy shit, I love this show. I was wicked late on the bandwagon and I didn't start watching it until very recently, about a month and a half ago. I do have a confession though, and I need zero judgment. And this wasn't something I revealed in my last episode. 
I have refused to watch the very last episode. I just cannot bring myself to do it. And I've watched it on a loop up until probably the last two episodes. I don't even know how many times. When I love something, as you can tell through the pattern of me explaining these shows, I watch them way too fucking much. I will watch them on a loop 30, 40 times. I don't care. But I just can't watch the last episode. I can't do it. I don't want it to be over. If you don't know, Schitt's Creek is all about a rich family that fell from grace and has to rebuild their life in a small town that they bought as a joke many years prior, more specifically in a motel, even more specifically, two hotel rooms for four people. It stars the love of my life, Dan Levy. It's hilarious and heartwarming. It also has Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara. It's fantastic. If you haven't watched it yet, I don't know what you're doing. Please stop. Watch Shit's Creek. Thank me later. I better be fucking swimming in thank you cards after giving you all these gems. The fucking Frozen documentary? Come on. Come on. Were you ever gonna watch that shit if I didn't tell you to? No. Are you probably still not gonna watch that shit? Yes. Is that my problem? No. Are we moving on to the best show of 2020? Yes. Number one, Euphoria streaming on HBO and HBO Max. (laughs) You got a new best friend. (laughs) You know what, Rick? Why don't you go fuck yourself? How dare you speak to someone like that? Oh, Rick, don't be a smart ass. Did I offend you? Apologize right now. In retrospect, that was a little cunty. But Rick does suck, and I was angry for a lot of reasons. Rick, I sincerely apologize for telling you to go fuck yourself. What I really meant to say is that my mom can do better, and I hate seeing you sit in the chair my dad sat in. Euphoria! Oh my goodness, I love this show. What do I, where do I even begin? Okay. Euphoria follows a group of high schoolers as they navigate love and friendship in a world of drugs, sex, trauma, and social media. Pleasant and original sounding, I know. We've seen this done many times. Skins, Degrassi, everything, everything under the sun. But hear me out, Euphoria is different. Now, right off the bat, I want to warn you, this is not for children. This is titties and dicks and sex and drugs and everything flying all over the place, okay? And I know you're probably used to titties, but I'm not just saying dicks like, oh, you see a little side. No, no, no. You see a locker room full of about a thousand dicks, which like, finally, can we get some representation? We've probably seen about a million titties in TV and very rarely do we see dicks flapping all over the place. I'm not speaking for me, just in general. We're talking about equality here. Anywho, I got way off topic. Digressing from the private parts, my ultimate girl crush, Zendaya, is the star of this show. She plays Rue Bennett, who is fresh from rehab and has no intention of staying clean and struggles to see what her future holds until she meets Jules, the eclectic, intriguing new girl in town. It's a fucking wild show. Let me just say that right off the bat, aside from like obviously the dicks and tits hanging out. In addition to being my favorite show of 2020 and 2019, it is one of my favorite shows of all time. Cinematography unmatched. The fucking way they used it to show the effects of drugs in this show. I just, I I have no words. The camera creates part of the story. The way you view it is woven into the story. Isn't that like, oh my God, it sounds so simple and like, yeah, duh. But it's just something that is so incredible. Oof, all right, I need to adjust my mic. I need to rant. All right, now I'm comfy and ready to roast. I know that this may come off precious or pretentious, but I do not care, it needs to be said. Euphoria got a lot of attention and Fairweather fans for its trendy aesthetics and its great soundtrack and its legendary makeup. Honestly, as someone who's been in the beauty industry for, oh my God, this would have been my eighth year, I can appreciate that. And as a lover of music, I can appreciate a fantastic soundtrack. That being said, Last week, or maybe the week before, I can't remember, they gave us a bridge episode into season two. The whole episode was Rue and Ali talking in a diner. I'm not giving any spoilers. It was very clear from the, like, marketing they put out that that's what it was. It was really stripped and very raw, and it showed the genius of the Euphoria crew. Also, if I accidentally slip up and say Sephora instead of Euphoria, I apologize. Please excuse my previous employer's name being burnt into my brain. But anywho, the entire episode is two black actors discussing addiction and life, and it was like fucking therapy. And so many people were revealed to be fake 
ass fans that do not understand what this show is really about. They said it was boring and that they couldn't believe that there wasn't any crazy camera angles and the makeup wasn't there and the soundtrack wasn't there. That's not what Euphoria is about. Euphoria at its core was not meant to be some fucking high school trendy drama. This is about Sam Levinson, the writer slash director, sharing his real experiences as a teenager addicted to drugs. It's uncomfortable, it's raw, it's disillusioned. The makeup, the soundtracks, the lighting, the funky camera angles, that was all to help with it being disillusioned and raw and uncomfortable. What this bridge episode did was proved that they did not need all of those extra fancy things to make this a great show with great writing. They needed the bare minimum to make you feel like you got punched in the gut. And if you can't appreciate that, if you feel like that's boring, then fine. Then you can wait for season two. I thought the bridge episode was so beautifully done and euphoria for me on a very personal level in more ways than one is something that really, really hits my heartstrings. If you yourself suffer from addiction issues, if you have family members or loved ones that suffer from addiction or mental illness or if you've never picked up a fucking drug in your life I feel like you can relate to this show if I talk about it too long I'll get super emotional so I'm just gonna end it there and besides we're like 35 minutes in so I should probably move along anyway hands down my favorite show of 2019 and 2020 the bridge episode premiered last week so I was like oh that's kind of 2020 so I'll put it here so technically the show premiered in 2019 shit maybe even 2018 I don't know fucking time doesn't have meaning I'm pretty sure it's 2019 either way I'm just gonna get into some of the like honorary mentions I guess I'll call them the shows that did not premiere in 2020 but I've been watching like crazy and these aren't going to be in like any particular order it's just going to be just random spurts of shows the biggest one I watch all the time is The Office which is on Netflix until January I believe and then it's going to be streaming on Peacock I watch a lot of Chopped, which is my favorite cooking show of all time. If you even want to call it a cooking show, it's just great. That's streaming on Hulu. Don't shred me for this one because I don't appreciate who she is as a person in modern day. But the show Roseanne, like from the 90s, that's on Amazon Prime. That is my shit. I could watch that show every day for the rest of my life. I love the old Roseanne. I watch the Connors too, but it's it's not the same, but it's still really good. I also, of course, watch a lot of Dairy Girls and Kim's Convenience. Oh my God, I knew I was forgetting one that premiered in 2020. Big Mouth for sure. But you know what? That's fine. It's an honorary mention. It's a great show. It'd actually probably be in my top 10 somewhere, but Big Mouth, 100%, a great show. That's on Netflix. I get so much shit for loving that show. I think it's fucking genius. I think it's hilarious. Kristen Wiig playing a vagina. Get out of here. That's the greatest show ever. Also, I'm really big into the like Netflix shows that are all about explained or songs that made us or toys that made us, movies that made us. I don't know if those would be considered 2020 releases or shows, but I love those. Very recently, like as of last night, I started watching American Crime Story, The Assassination of Gianni Versace, and I love it. I'm also re-watching several seasons of American Horror Story, which I love. I'm also watching Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, Get Up and First Take on ESPN. Technically that's streaming, right? I do actually stream it from the ESPN app most of the time, but that's usually what I'm watching at 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. and then 10 a.m., what is it, till 12 p.m.? I'm all about First Take and get up. And that's what I'm watching as far as shows go. I think we're ready to get into the movies. Can you tell I finished my coffee and got a second cup of hot coffee? Isn't that crazy? I'm talking about 8,000 miles per hour, but that's okay. That's okay. If you're this far in, like you're fucking in it. There's nothing that's going to make you turn around now. Call your boss, tell him you're going to be late. Aaliyah still has to go through her movies. My number five movie that premiered in 2020, The Five Bloods, streaming on Netflix. We're all going to live. And maybe someday if I come to Paris, you can... Show me the Champs Elysees. The what? You know, the Champs Elysees, that big thing y'all got. The Champs Elysees. Bet? Bet. The Five Bloods tells the story of four friends that are Vietnam War veterans who travel to modern day Vietnam to look for the body of their platoon captain who passed during the war. That's the core plot, but this film, I mean, it hits every emotion. It gave me anxiety, fear, it disturbed me, it gave me hope, happiness, joy, sadness, all of it. When I say disturbed, I do want to give a trigger warning. The film uses actual still photos and 
film footage from the war that is extremely graphic. The deeper message, and I don't want to spoil it, but I mean, obviously it's very political. It's a Spike Lee film, but it touches heavily on race and stigma surrounding mental illness. It's truly a beautiful watch. It stars the legendary late Chadwick Boseman that still feels so strange to say. Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, and Asaya Whitlock. The cast is incredible. The the job they did at delivering such a heavy message in a beautiful, multifaceted, complex way with humor in it too. When I was reading about this film, I was like, there's no way that this is going to have any type of lightheartedness to it. And there was, they balanced it very well. I'm going to give context, obviously, but I'm going to try and keep these next four brief because I don't want to talk your ear off for two hours. So if you're noticing shorter segments, that is why. But continuing on, number four, Becoming, streaming on Netflix. How do you feel transitioning back to your normal life? Because like it got, inter- well, mm. I don't want to say interrupted, but it was like a huge bump in the road because you thought you were just going to live this normal life and then all of a sudden your husband became president. So how does it feel like trying to get back on track of your normal life that you had before? What I've learned is that get back on what track? It's a whole new track. It's not going back. It's not, you know, it's all, it's just all different and it's different forever. So it's not getting back on track, but it's creating my next track. I'm doing what you're doing. I'm figuring out what do I want to do? What do I care about? And it takes time to process your life and, and figure out what it all means. So little of who I am happened in those eight years. So much more of who I was happened before. As I'm sure you could probably tell from the audio clip or from just existing on planet Earth, Becoming is a documentary that follows former First Lady Michelle Obama in an intimate look at her life, her hopes, and her connection with others. This was also in my top five reads of 2020. Such an incredible, incredible autobiography. I highly recommend the audible version where you can actually listen to her tell the story because her voice, oh, I love her voice. It calms me. I just love her. She explains everything with such grace and she manages to balance elegance and relatability perfectly. Nadia Hallgren, who is the director, and I believe she's also like the main camera person as well. She banged this movie out in seven months. That is insane. It's taking me seven fucking months to record 40 minutes of audio. Like that is insane. She probably did not sleep a wink in seven months. This documentary truly shows Michelle Obama's soul and it's motivating. I really recommend it if you're looking for some inspiration or just to feel lifted and better about this shitty year. By the end of the documentary, you will feel like Michelle Obama is your best friend. I would 100% get my nails done and go shopping and drink wine with Michelle Obama. Hit me up, Mish. I'm not too far from DC. Number three, the happiest season streaming on Hulu. I'm sorry, I left a gentleman alone in my apartment, so I'm tracking him to make sure he leaves. You're tracking him? Yeah, I track everybody. If the NSA can do it, so can I. This title surprised me. So many things to say, so many things to say about this. One, I love Kristen Stewart. She's evolved so much from Bella Swan. I feel like she's just the coolest fucking girl ever. Oh yeah, and maybe you heard it in that audio clip, but the main reason I chose to watch this was because of Dan Levy. Also, random fucking side note, there is an owl cooing outside of my office window. What, what, why? So if you hear some ominous coo, coo, that's what they do, right? Or is that a rooster? No, rooster is caca. Just kidding. I, I know my sounds, but yeah, on some real Edgar Allan Poe shit, that's, that's why you hear that noise. If you happen to hear it, like I'm hearing it in my headphones. The Happiest Season is about a young woman who plans to propose to her girlfriend while at her family's annual holiday party and discovers that her partner is not out yet to her conservative parents. There were parts of the film I wasn't a fan of, but mostly because I was rooting for a different direction, I want to say, without spoiling it. It wasn't that the movie was bad. I just didn't like the choices. But overall, it's really funny and and is a really dope LGBTQ holiday rom-com and it's just so cute. It's adorable. Also, it is so refreshing to see Audrey Plaza play someone not fucking annoying. Wow, I didn't know I needed that. The movie can be extremely uncomfortable at times, but on purpose. Even if you don't relate to the character's sexuality, you can definitely feel that awkwardness and tension and conflict brewing. And I feel like it's something every Everyone who's been in a relationship can relate to. It shows that superficial bullshit is just superficial bullshit. And I love that. Number two, Project Power, streaming on Netflix. So 
powerful animal on the planet. Shut up. Some people think it's the lion. No, they big. It's actually uh, the pistol shrimp. Little bitty guy. Look harmless, but it hits you so fast. It vaporizes the water around you. 8,000 degrees. Hotter than the surface of the sun. Shockwaves. Rips the flesh right off the bone. And when it's all over, it's just Mr. Shrimp. Hear me out. I know this film has a lot of cliches that sends people through a loop. But this is a great movie. A former soldier teams up with a cop to find the source behind a dangerous pill that provides temporary superpowers. This is such an epic movie. It's action-packed and intense. It stars Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Dominique Fishback. The acting is crazy good, especially Dominique. She plays Robin and she's going to do big things. I can already see that. And as I said, I know it has a lot of cliches, but I feel like the why behind it makes the movie what it is. I feel like everything has already been done. There's nothing truly original anymore concept wise. The concept is like the beef, the burger, the steak, the meat. It's the veggies and the starch around the meat that make the meal. As long as the meat isn't overcooked or raw. Am I fucking crashing from coffee or am I making sense? I feel like I'm kind of making sense and kind of not, but if you get me, you get me. The veggies and the starch are giving the why. They're giving the extra. The meat is cooked well. This concept is good. It's the extras that make it special. And when I say extras, that can be anything. That can be the acting, the cinematography, the soundtrack, the lighting. My favorite thing about this movie in particular is usually in epic heavy action films, they don't normally give the viewer a break. The viewer needs to catch their breath and have a laugh. Honestly, in my opinion, I need that. Project Power does that beautifully, as opposed to a movie like Extraction, where the whole fucking thing is like an anxiety attack from start to finish. Honestly, I'm not kidding. It's on Netflix. Watch Extraction and you'll see exactly what I mean. You'll turn it off 15 minutes in. Project Power does it right. It gives you the epic superhero concept with great acting. You're getting good laughs. You're getting good cinematography. You're getting a good why behind the story. Great twist. I remember immediately when it was over, I was like, this is one of my favorite films of 2020, hands down. All right, before I get to my number one pick of the year, I have to do my honorable mentions for movies. Unlike the television ones, these will all be releases from 2020, but again, will be open to all streaming platforms. Yes, God, yes, streaming on Netflix. The Social Dilemma, streaming on Netflix. Palm Springs, streaming on Hulu, Onward, of course, streaming on Disney Plus, and finally, the movie I just finished watching this afternoon before I started recording, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, streaming on Netflix. Oh my fucking God, you know what I forgot, aside from Big Mouth? Honestly, this should be my number two or number one film, but Devil All the Time, streaming on Netflix. How could I forget that movie? Oh my God, that is like the most perfect movie ever. Whatever, it's fine. It'll be like number two and a half. But my number one, are you ready? Drum roll, my number one movie released in 2020 was Dr. Sleep, streaming on HBO and HBO Max, but it has to be the director's cut. That's very important. It's so funny, friend. Well, it's just arrogance. It's arrogance, really. But makes sense if you think you're going to live forever. Stands to reason. Of course you wouldn't wear your seat. Struggling with alcoholism, Dan remains traumatized by the sinister events that occurred at the Overlook Hotel when he was a child. This is of course referring to The Shining. His hope for a peaceful existence soon becomes shattered when he meets Abra, a teen who shares his extrasensory gift of the shine. Together they form an unlikely alliance to battle the true knot, a cult whose members try to feed off the shine of innocence to become immortal. When I saw trailers for this film, I was completely turned off. It looked messy and jumbled and confusing, and it took a lot of convincing to actually get me to watch it. But holy shit, I am so glad I did. The director's cut is long, but trust me, that's the one you want to watch. It is slow moving, but it has depth and it stays interesting, and it really kept me engaged. I really didn't go into this expecting horror, which I know some people were really upset because they were going into it with The Shining in mind. I always went into it with the idea that it was going to be supernatural more than anything. So that particular area wasn't of a letdown to me. The score slash soundtrack beyond the acting, beyond the deeper message beyond let me backtrack just a little bit back to the soundtrack score, whatever you want to call it. I have a weird thing where 
my brain thinks that heartbeat sounds are mind control. So I do not like heartbeat sounds. But and however, they used it in this film a lot. I hated it, but it did what it was supposed to do. So I enjoyed it at the same time. Maybe not enjoyed, but I respected what it did. It kept my heart going. Oh my God, I was in a panic the whole movie. The message or like the metaphor of what The Shining represents, I don't know if that's considered a spoiler. So I won't get deep into that, but I love how it's weaved perfectly into the storyline and into like where Dan's at in life. I know this pod is 6 million hours long now, so I will just keep this simple. Dr. Sleep is the greatest film that has come out in 2020. It is absolutely unreal. It's three fucking hours long, but I could have watched three hours more of it. I'll put it that way. And to put it in comparison to another film that was three hours long, I was done with Endgame after about an hour and a half. And I'm big time into Marvel. B-I-G big time. It's been 50 minutes. I'm feeling dicey. I'm ready to throw out a really unpopular random opinion. I think Endgame was one of the worst Marvel movies ever made. Yeah, I said it. The only good scene in that entire film, in my opinion, was the last scene. Not Dr. Sleep though. Dr. Sleep is fantastic from beginning to end. You gotta watch it. Get on that HBO HBO Max game. It's worth it. Oh my god, that was a lot. Guys, we made it. Did you make it to the end of this? How many people made it to the end of this? I really want to know who is fucking crazy enough to listen to me for 50 minutes long. Like you deserve some sort of prize or to be locked away. Even if it did not seem like it, this was a massive, massive project to complete. And I'm grateful that you stuck around to listen. Thank you for an incredible few months already and for taking time out of your day to listen to me. If I can bring some light and laughter to your life, then I'm doing what I want to do. I'll be uploading new pods the second week of January, I believe. So be sure to follow the Instagram at NCQH podcast. There will hopefully, 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 I think everything's going on the right track, be some new content as well, aside from the podcast where you'll get to see my face. And if you're a horror lover, oof, you might really enjoy this next project I have. I'll give more details on that when it's like officially out. So I'm not just like blowing smoke. But anywho, on a more serious note, I know at the end of every pod, I share resources for various different things. And I wanted to group those all together for the end of this pod. For all things pertaining to help and resources for veterans, please visit va.gov. That's va.gov. For transgender resources, visit glaad.org forward slash transgender forward slash resources. For all things pertaining to Black Lives Matter, please visit p is in Peter, b is in boy, dash resources.com that's pb dash resources.com and finally for all types of covid19 support resources please visit mhanational.org here you can find everything from public health updates domestic and sexual violence resources financial support resources mental health resources older adult resources wellness and coping skills, BIPOC and LGBTQIA COVID-19 resources, caregiving and parenting resources, resources for frontline workers, and so, so, so much more. It's a great website to visit for anything you may need help with. Also kind of a random side note, but something that's very important to me. I've noticed it already start to begin, and this is something that happens every single year, but this year especially. Please do not buy into these multi-level marketing bullshit schemes that target individuals who are sensitive and insecure about their weight and body image. New Year's is when they strike. They're hitting you for that new year, new me, new year's resolution to lose 15 pounds. They're coming out with a force like lose the quarantine 15. Fuck that shit. We are going through trauma. Who cares what you look like right now? If you wanna live a healthier life, that's fine but please do not buy into these scams. Please don't starve yourself. Please don't be unhealthy. Speak with your doctor about what the best way for you to lose weight is. Do not buy into these schemes. I know that seems super random, but I mean, I have a platform and I wanna use it and I wanna share that. You are fine the way you are. We are going through a crisis, a pandemic, a revolution. Like things are serious right now. I don't care where you live. So what if you put on 15 pounds? So fucking what? You got more warmth for winter. You're amazing. You're going through a really hard time. I don't know who needs to hear that, but hear it from me. I'll stop rambling now. I've been rambling for far too long anyway. Just have a safe, happy holiday season. I'll talk to you guys in 2021. Stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong. (laughs) 